Well, let's come to this passage. The film director Ingmar Bergman was once struggling with depression. And uh, he wrote about the impact that the great composer Johann Sebastian Bach had on him at that time. He describes how Bach had returned from a, a long journey away from home. And he found that his wife and two of their children had died in his absence. Can you imagine that? And Bach's diary entry after that simply records this prayer. Dear Lord, may my joy not leave me. Dear Lord, may my joy not leave me. And Ingmar Bergman, who was himself struggling with depression at this time, wrote, all through my conscious life, I had lived with what Bach calls his joy. It had carried me as faithfully as my heart. Bach called this state his joy, a joy in God. Dear Lord, may my joy not leave me. And I don't know what sort of 12 months you've had, but if they've been anything like mine, there will have been moments of real challenge, uh, perhaps even moments of lockdown difficulty where you felt perhaps you were losing your joy. Difficulties involving work or relationships or an inability to be with people that you love or simply lack of horizon for your future. Well, tonight we're talking about the joy that is the resurrection power of God. And in the preceding passage to the scripture that Frauke just read to us, Paul has raised the stakes through the roof in terms of what he's now about to say. He's thrown down a wager, a wager on which our faith must stand or fall. Listen to some of the preceding sentences. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. We are then found to be false witnesses of God. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. So he says all that, and now he continues with crushing finality and absoluteness by saying, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. That's it. Just that. End of comment. Nothing more, nothing less, period. And he said it on the basis of what he's also just described, which is the evidence of the empty tomb, the witness of the disciples, the risen Jesus's appearance to over 500 other people, and then to all the apostles, and finally to Paul himself. Paul is writing out of personal experience. And Christianity lives or dies on the resurrection power of God. Charles Talleyrand was a French statesman who was very influential in the aftermath of the French 
revolution. And a friend of his one day decided to try and initiate a new form of religion to, to kind of outdo and improve on Christianity. But he came to Talleyrand shortly after, absolutely discouraged, saying he'd not been able to win a single convert to his religion. And he said to Talleyrand, what shall I do? And Talleyrand replied, I would recommend that you be crucified and then rise again on the third day. Now, Paul doesn't waste any more time in this passage tonight justifying faith in the resurrection. He's done that earlier in 1 Corinthians 15. And I really urge you to read his words if you've never considered the evidence for the resurrection. The evidence for the resurrection changed my life and probably changed the lives of most of us who are on this call tonight. It was, it was the gateway to my coming to know Jesus as real and living and to know what it is to be in a personal relationship with him. So consider the evidence, please, if you've never done that. You can do that through reading the Gospels. You can do that through talking to a Christian friend about the resurrection or come and do Alpha with us next term. But Paul is more interested in this passage, in the implications of the resurrection. What happened? What will happen? And what this means for our lives in the here and now. And it is an epic passage that Frauke just read. It's, it's like the entire Star Wars series condensed into nine verses. It tells the story of the cosmos from start to finish, from the first breakdown of things in creation, in Eden, to the glory of God coming as the waters will cover the sea. And listen to, to what the passage describes. Let me just list them. Christ being raised from the dead, history, the second coming of Christ, majesty, the resurrection of the dead, destiny, Christ destroying all false dominion and power, authority, Christ destroying death, victory, Christ putting all his enemies under his feet, supremacy, Christ handing over the kingdom to God, humility, and God reigning all in all, sovereignty. The writer Dorothy L. Sayers wrote, we may call this story exhilarating, or we may call it devastating. We may call it revelation, or we may call it rubbish. But if we call it dull, then words have no meaning at all. And Christians, of course, call it revelation. We call this revelation. The resurrection is the Everest of our faith. It's to be something on which we daily dwell. You remember Paul in Philippians 3.10 says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And it's a revelation of three things. It's a revelation, firstly, of the bodily resurrection of Christ. Christianity's claim of a bodily resurrection is unique among world faiths. People today may believe in the immortality of the soul, but rarely in the resurrection of the earthly body. Some years ago, I remember I was sitting in an editing room with a, 
a friend who's a, a TV director and uh, he was cutting a film about death and about belief in the afterlife. And he's actually the son of a previous archbishop. And he would probably say he's a person sympathetic to the Christian faith. And I just remember him saying that the sticking point for him of my faith was that I believed in the resurrection of the body and that he could never do that. And I don't know why that is. I don't know why some people find it so hard to believe in the resurrection of the body, whether it's some kind of thinking or feeling about, about the body itself. But the New Testament is, is unequivocal. Christ rose in a resurrection body. Second, we will too. There will be a resurrection of the dead at Christ's return. Writing of baptism in Romans 6, 5, Paul says, if we have been with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. And then third, this resurrection power is available to us in the everyday. Paul in that Romans passage means that we're also united with Christ in new life now, with the risen Christ in new life now, not just when the end will come. It's a power we draw on now in anticipation of the life to come. N.T. Wright puts it, Jesus's resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. And these are mind-blowing realities. Nothing human is at work in this passage. Nothing. The name of Christ is everywhere. It's in every single sentence except one, and it's implied there. These resurrection actions are the singular, unique work of God. And what is resurrection power? It's it's the power of God's love. It's the power that no writer or artist can bottle. It's the power that science is unable to explain. And without it, without it in our lives, sin and death and the demonic will always triumph. And human hope will probably come to an end. Because in Eden, sin and death and the demonic all got knotted together in one tangle. And without experience of God's resurrection power, you will always be prey to those forces. You will risk falling captive to them. But not so in Christ. Because over every dominion and authority and power, including death, as we've heard in this passage, there is a greater power. And Paul names the one who is behind that power in Romans 4.17. Listen to these words, some of my favourite words in scripture, describing the one whom we worship. The God, Paul says, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. That's the ESV. In the New Living Translation, it's 
the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Let's just sit with that for a moment because it should really make our jaws hit the deck. The God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Karl Barth says that the bad news of the resurrection is that it shows us that all our positions on life's battlefield are lost. That's the bad news. And the good news is that it proclaims true freedom to us. And it tells us that the one and only refuge is God. Wherever you feel challenged in joy or wherever you're mired in disappointment at the moment or bound by addiction or just crushed by lethargy, wherever you feel in a tomb or that the tomb's lid has actually snapped shut on you, resurrection power shouts true freedom over you. It proclaims that you're free. It releases new life where all human effort is wasted. God says to you tonight that he wants to bring the dead in you back to life. He wants to create new things in you out of nothing. And we're going to pray for both of those things in a moment. It's a power, resurrection power, that we access daily, living under the cross and knowing the mercy of God and his continuing forgiveness of our sins. But it's also a dynamic power that we can access in times of crisis, in times of emergency. Let me share a story with you. I just come to faith. I was filled with joy but a kind of dark shadow kept coming over me. And some years earlier, during the breakup in a relationship, when I was in a, a state of extreme anger, I'd felt something dark and threatening literally come upon me. Jesus talks to the disciples about their being clothed with power from on high, the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, it was like my mind had got clothed but with a dark spirit and it wasn't there most of the time but just occasionally I would have sudden split second intrusive violent thoughts just for a moment and then they'd be gone and for years as a non-Christian I, I just got used to living with these thoughts it was like people who live with an underlying health condition but on my second experience of the Alpha course, three months after I'd come to faith, these thoughts suddenly resurfaced. I was at an Alpha Holy Spirit day, just like Emily described there having this afternoon. And I was talking with another participant when suddenly one of these dark thoughts crossed my mind. And suddenly it was no longer okay. I had come to faith in Christ. I knew the power of his resurrection. I believed in that. And I thought, I can't stand this any longer. This has got to end now. 
and I went to a private space. I knelt down and I confessed my despair to God with tears running down my face. And I said, I never wanted to have such thoughts again. I knew they weren't from God. I knew they weren't from me. And I pleaded with him to take them away by the blood of Jesus, by the power of the risen Christ. And then just a few minutes later, I was back in the Alpha room. And during a time of worship, one of the worship leaders just spoke a prophetic word over me. And I fell to my feet immediately. And a group of leaders came around me and started praying deliverance prayers. And within about three minutes, I literally felt this darkness stream out of me. And as the leaders prayed for me to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit, I, I just remember being filled with joy and filled with faith that I would never experience that darkness tormenting me again. What had happened? What had happened there? Three things, three things which can happen for any of you tonight. Firstly, I had stood in faith on the resurrection. Knowing that new life was on the other side of the confession that I was making to God. Secondly, I had turned away from sin. I had died to myself. I had nailed my offence to the cross. You can't have resurrection without there being a death. There's got to be a death first if it's going to be a genuine resurrection. And then thirdly, the leaders praying for me had called on the resurrection power of God. And then they prayed for the Holy Spirit to fill every vacant place left in me by that darkness. Nothing can contain the power of God's love. No earthly power, no supernatural power, nothing. And we need this resurrection power daily in our lives. We need it for our sanctification. And we also need it in order to be released in the calling that God has for each one of us to go out and make a difference in the world. Let me come into land with this. In 1791, John Wesley wrote the last letter of his life a week before he died. And it was to the MP William Wilberforce, encouraging him in his fight against slavery. And this is what Wesley wrote. Unless the divine power has raised you up to be as Athanasius against the world, I see not how you can go through your glorious enterprise in opposing that execrable villainy. Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But if God be for you, who can be against you? Are all of them together stronger than God? Oh, be not weary of well-doing. Go on in the name of God and in the power of his might. We need 
God's resurrection power. We need the power of his might to go out and do the kingdom works that God has called us to do. And so that we're not worn out by the opposition of men and devils. And so to all of you here who have big dreams, who have kingdom dreams, including ones which may currently feel curtailed or defeated, be not weary of well-doing. Draw on the resurrection power of God. Before he goes to Lazarus's tomb in John 11, Jesus says to Lazarus's sister, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then he says to her, do you believe this? And that's the question for us tonight. Do you believe this? Do you believe in Jesus as the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that you will never die? And do you want to know this divine power at work in your life? If so, go on in the name of God and in the power of his might.